Section 57 of Egypt, Africa, and Arabia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Fano Jahangiri. The World's Story, Volume 3. Egypt, Africa, and Arabia. Edited by Eva March Tapham. Section 57. One Day in Morocco, 19th Century, by Edmondo du Amisis. We made an early start for Zakota, inspired by the thought that on that day we should behold the mountains of Fez in the distance. There was an autumnal freshness in the air, and a light mist obscured the surrounding country. A crowd of Arabs wrapped in their cloaks formed two wings at the entrance to the camp. The soldiers of the escort were huddled together in a close chilly group behind us, and the children of the neighboring dwarves gazed out with sleepy eyes from behind the tents and hedges. Ere long, however, all this changed. The sun came out, the spectators crowded around us, the horsemen scattered in all directions, the air resounded with shouts and the rapid reports of firearms, and everything became suddenly bright, animated, full of life and color, while the autumnal cold was succeeded, as is always the case in that climate, by the burning heat of summer. Among my notes of that morning I find one which says laconically, Grasshoppers, sample of Salam's eloquence. I remember, in fact, to have noticed a field, some distance off, that seemed to be in motion, an effect produced by an enormous number of green grasshoppers coming towards us in leaps. Salam, who happened to be riding beside me just then, gave me an admirably picturesque description of the incursions of those terrible insects, which I remember word by word. But how can I possibly render the effect of his gestures, his expression, and the tones of his voice, which really told more than the words themselves? It is frightful, signor. They come from over there, pointing to the south, like a black cloud. The noise is heard from afar. They come, they come, and at their head, their sultan, their sultan Gerard, who leads them on. They cover the roads, the fields, house, dwarfs, forests. The cloud grows larger and larger, on and on and on, dying and consuming. Over rivers, over ditches, over walls, through fire, the grass is destroyed, the flowers, the leaves, the fruit, the grain, the bark of the trees, on and on. No one can stop them, not flaming tribes, not the sultan with his army, not all the people of Morocco assembled together, heaps of dead grasshoppers. For what go the living? Do ten die? A hundred are born. Do a hundred die? A thousand are born. Such size at ten years? Streets covered, gardens covered, seashores covered, sea covered, everything green, everything in motion, living, dead, decayed, offensive, a plague, a pestilence, a curse from God. And this is really so. The fetid odor arising from myriads of dead grasshoppers sometimes reduced the contagious form of fever. And to cite one instance, the terrible plague which in 1799 fairly depopulated both the towns and country of Bombay, broke out just after one of these visitations. When the advance guard of the invading army appears, the Arabs go forward to meet it, in parties of four or five hundred, with sticks, clubs, and firebrands, but only succeed in forcing the enemy to deviate somewhat from its course, and it occasionally happens that when one tribe drives them back thus from their own into the district of a neighboring tribe, the grasshopper war is converted into a civil war. The only thing that frees the country from this curse is a favorable wind. 
This blows them into the sea, where they drown and are swept up on the beach for days afterwards in great heaps. When the favorable wind still delays, the only possible consolation left the inhabitants is to eat their enemies. This they do before they have laid their eggs, boiling them and adding a seasoning of salt, pepper, and vinegar. They taste a little like sea crabs, and as many as 400 can be eaten in a single day. About two miles from camp, we overtook that part of the caravan which was bearing Victor Emmanuel's presence to Fez. White camels were harnessed together two by two in tandem fashion by long poles attached to either side of the saddle, from which swung the cases. They were in charge of some Arabs on foot and some mounted soldiers, and at their head was a wagon drawn by two oxen, the only wagon we had seen in Morocco. It had been especially made at El Araish upon the model, I should say, of the first vehicle that ever appeared on the earth's surface, squat, heavy, ill-formed with wheels composed of solid blocks of wood, and the most curious and absurd-looking harness that could possibly be imagined. But to the inhabitants of the Duars, most of whom had in all probability never seen a wheeled vehicle before, it was a marvel. They ran to behold it from all directions, pointed it out to each other, followed behind and walked in front of it with visible excitement. Even our mules, unaccustomed to the sight of such objects, showed great reluctance to pass it, some planting themselves stubbornly on their forefeet, and others wheeling completely around. Salam himself regarded it with a certain complacency, as though saying, that was made in our country, and this was excusable, seeing that in all Morocco there are very likely no more wagons than pianos, which, if the estimate of a French consul is correct, would reduce the number to about a dozen. There seems indeed to be a certain antipathy to vehicles of every kind. The Tangier authorities, for example, forbade Prince Frederick of Hesse-Darmstadt, when he was there in 1839 to ride out in a carriage, the prince wrote to the sultan, offering to have the principal streets paved at his own expense, provided the permission refused by the authorities were granted him. I will grant it most willingly, replied the sultan, but upon one condition that the carriage shall have no wheels, since as protectors of the faithful I cannot permit my subjects to be exposed to the risk of being run over by a Christian. Whereupon the prince, to turn the whole thing into ridicule, took him at his word, and there are people in Tangiers now, who remember seeing him going about the town in a carriage without wheels, suspended between two mules. At last we reached that blessed hill for which for three days past the caravan had been looking with such longing impatience. After making a tedious ascent, we passed through a narrow gorge called in Arabic Bentinja which we were obliged to take single file and came out above a charming valley, flowery and solitary, into which the caravan descended in festive style, filling the air with shouts and bursts of song. At the foot of the valley, we came upon another body of soldiers belonging to the military colonies, come to relieve the first. There were a hundred of them. Very old and very young, dark long-haired, some of them mounted on enormous horses with housings of unusual splendor. Their Kaid, Abu Ben Jalali, 
was a sturdy old man of severe aspect and curt manner of whom and of his soldiers one might have said as don abodonio did of the anonymous leader and the assassins i can well understand that to control such faces as those nothing less is needed than such a face as that without so much as a glance as the fields of ripening wheat and barley that lined the road on either side the soldiers urged their horses forward and scattering in all directions on a full gallop began the powder play five and ten firing at a time into the air wheeling to left and right turning about in their saddles in every conceivable manner and yelling all the while like demons one of them whirled his gun around with such rapidity that it could hardly be seen another as he flew by shouted in a tremendous voice here comes the thunderbolt a third whose horse had swerved a little came within a hair's breadth of landing in our midst and throwing us all to the ground with our heels in the air at a certain point the ambassador and captain accompanied by helmet ben Carson, and a few soldiers separated from the rest of the caravan and went off to make the ascent of a mountain a few miles away while we continued our route a few minutes later an incident occurred which i am not likely ever to forget a half-naked arab boy about sixteen or eighteen years old came towards us driving two recalled citrons oxen by the aid of a heavy stick the kate abu benjalali stopped his horse and caught him we learned afterwards that the oxen were to have been attached to the wagon which we had passed not long before and that they were several hours behind time the unfortunate boy approached trembling and stood before the kate who put some question to him i did not understand the lad stammered the reply and went white as death fifty lashes said the kate curtly turning to his men three powerful fellows at once leaped from their horses and the poor wretch without waiting for them to lay hold of him without uttering a single word or so much as raising his eyes to the countenance of his judge threw himself flat on his face and as the custom is with arms and legs extended all of this had transpired in an instant but the stick had not been lifted in the air before the commander and some of the others dashing into the midst of the group had made the kate understand that they could not think of permitting such a brutal punishment to be inflicted abu benjulali inclined he said and the boy rose pale with convulsed features gazing alternately at his deliverers and the kate with an expression of mingled fear and astonishment go said the interpreter you are free ah he cried with an intonation that cannot be conveyed and quick as lightning disappeared we proceeded in on our way but i must say that although i had seen a man killed i have never experienced such feelings of profound horror as when i beheld that half-naked boy stretched out on the ground to receive his fifty lashes and after the horror of the thing my blood began to boil and, and i denounced the kate the sultan morocco and its inhumanity in the most violent terms it is however undoubtedly better to wait for second thoughts but how about ourselves i presently reflected how many years is it since we abolished whipping and how many since it was abolished in austria and in prussia and throughout the rest of europe these thoughts had the effect of somewhat curbing my righteous indignation and i was left with only a strong feeling of bitterness 
if any one cares to know how whipping is conducted in morocco suffice it to say that when the operation is completed it sometimes happens that the victim is carried to the cemetery during the remainder of the ride to zakota the caravan passed over a succession of hills and valleys the road running between fields of wheat and barley and bright green pasture bordered with aloes indian figs wild olives dwarf oaks ivy strawberry trees myrtles and flowery shrubs not a tent was in sight not a living soul to be seen the country was as luxuriant silent and deserted as an enchanted garden once on reaching the top of a certain hill we descried the blue summits of the fez mountains which however immediately disappeared again as though they had merely raised their heads a moment to see us pass in the hottest part of the day we arrived at zakota this was one of the most exquisite spots we saw throughout the entire trip the camp was pitched on the mountainside in a great rocky cavity shaped like an amphitheater and worn by the successive passage back and forth of man and beast into innumerable paths one above the other whose more or less regular lines had the effect of graduated seats and as a matter of fact these tires were at that very moment crowded with arabs who sat on the ground in semicircles like spectators in some actual amphitheater below us lay a wide basin-shaped plain whose cultivated fields made it look like a huge checkerboard with squares of green yellow white red and purple silk and velvet looking through field glasses we could see on the more distant hills here a row of tents there a koba half hidden among the aloes in one place a camel beyond it an arab lying on the ground a herd of cattle a group of women a sluggish infrequent signs of life that made one feel more forcibly than their entire absence would have done the profound peacefulness of the scene above all this loveliness a white blazing blinding sky forcing one to bow his head and half close his eyes but it is not so much the beauties of nature that make zagota an undying memory with me as a certain experiment i made there with kif kif let me say for the benefit of those who are unfamiliar with it is the leaf of a sort of hemp called hashish celebrated throughout the east for its narcotic qualities it is much used in morocco and it may generally be taken for granted that those arabs and moors so frequently to be seen in the towns gazing at the passers-by by with dull unseeing eyes or dragging themselves along like persons stunned by a blow on the head are victims of this pernicious plant most people smoke the kif mixed with a little tobacco in tiny clay pipes or it may be eaten in the form of confectionery called majun made of butter honey nuts musk and cloves the effects are very peculiar dr migorez who had tried it had often told me of his experience recounting among other things how he was seized with an irresistible desire to laugh and how he seemed to be lifted off the ground so that in passing through a doorway about twice his own height he had bent his head for fear of striking it against the lintel all of these so aroused my curiosity that i several times begged him to give me a little piece of majun just enough to make me see and feel some of these curious things without absolutely losing control of myself the worthy doctor at first excused himself saying that it would be better to make the experiment at fez where we would be more conveniently situated but on my persisting 
he at length a little unwillingly handed me at zakota a plate on which lay the much desired sweetmeat we were seated at table if i mistake not both usi and Beseo took a little at the same time but of its effect on them i have no recollection the majun was like a bit of paste violet colored and smelling like pomatum for about half an hour from the soup that is to the fruit i felt nothing at all and began to chaff the doctor about his fears but he only smiled and said wait wait and sure enough as the fruit was put on the table the first symptoms of intoxication did begin to manifest themselves at first they took the form of great hilarity and rapid talking and then i began to laugh heartily at everything i or anyone else said every word that was uttered seemed to me the most exquisite witticism i laughed at the servants at the looks of my companions at my chair as it tilted over at the design on the china at the shapes of certain bottles at the color of the cheese i was eating until all at once becoming conscious that i no longer had command of myself i endeavored to think of something serious in order to regain my self-control remembering the boy who was to have been whipped that morning i felt the greatest interest in him i would have liked to take him back with me to italy to have him educated to give him a career i loved him like a son and the kaid abu bin jalali poor old man kaid abu bin jalali why i loved him too like a father and the soldiers of the escort they were all good fellows ready to defend us to risk their lives in our behalf i loved them like brothers and then the algerians i loved them as well why not i thought they are of the same race as the moroccans and after all what race is that are we not all brothers made after one pattern we should love one another i love people and i am happy and i threw one arm around the doctor's neck whereupon he burst out laughing from this cheerful mood i fell all at once into a state of profound melancholy all the people whom i had ever offended rose up before me i recalled every pang i had caused those who loved me was oppressed by feelings of remorse and unavailing regret voices seemed to whisper in my ear in accents of affectionate reproach i repented begged for pardon furtively brushed away the great tear which i felt trembling in the corner of one eye then a succession of a strange disconnected memories began to course wildly through my brain long forgotten friends of my childhood certain words of a dialect i had not spoken for twenty years women's faces my old regiment william the silent paris the editor barbara a beaver hat that i had worn as a child the acropolis at athens my bill at an inn in seville a thousand queer fancies i have a vague recollection of seeing the company look at me smilingly from time to time i would close my eyes and reopen them without knowing whether i had been asleep or no whether minutes or hours had elapsed in the interval then a clear idea came into my head at last and i began to speak once i said i went to where was it i went who went it had all escaped me thoughts sparkled for an instant and expired like fireflies crowded mixed confused at one moment i saw usi with his head elongated like the reflection in a bad mirror the wise counsel with a face two feet wide 
and the others tapered off swelled out contorted like extravagant creatures making grimaces at me that were inexpressibly comic and i laughed and wagged my head and dozed and thought that they were all crazy that we were in another world that nothing i saw was real that i was not very well that i did not know where i was that it was getting strangely dark and silent when i came to myself i was lying on my own bed in our tent with the doctor seated beside me holding a lighted candle and regarding me attentively there <laughs> said he smiling it is over but this must be the first and last time end of section 57 this recording is in the public domain recording by fano jahangiri